friends, and welcome back to the Candidly Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Lippert Gillespie, and I am really glad that you are here today because it is time for another interview episode. Hands in the air because I love these. They have been so fun to do, and I'm going to continue doing them. I have a whole list of people that I'm going to be bringing to the show, so you have a lot to look forward to. And more so than that, you have my wonderful friend, Jen, to get to know today, who is a beautiful soul and who has some great wisdom and has been through some ups and downs and still remains so strong and still perseveres through everything she goes through. And so I think you're really going to love her story and just her wisdom that she has to impart on you guys. Before we get to the show and before I tell you a little bit more about Jen, I just want to remind you that you can subscribe to the Candidly Speaking Podcast in Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and then in Google Play as well. So go ahead and subscribe if you have not. That way, whenever I put out new shows, it'll just pop up on your phone and you'll be able to listen right away. I also want to encourage you that if you are loving this show or if you loved this episode or whatever it is, please, please, please send us a review. Give us five stars. You can rate five stars and then you can write a little, you know, couple sentence review. That is so helpful for us. It is just another way that we can be found by more people. The more reviews we get, the more we pop up in the recommended podcast, which is definitely ideal. We want to be found more organically and just reach more people and make this a beautiful space of just loving kindness where we can share and grow together. And, you know, we're just trying to reach as many people as we can. So go ahead and write a review. All right, let's get into talking about my friend Jen, who is my interview for today. Jen and I met a while back in college, actually. We worked for the same team, same baseball team in college. We both worked in the media departments, but we were doing different things. So Jen was doing a lot of the behind the scenes media things, and I was on camera and doing um, game hosting and things like that. But we did cross paths quite a bit when she was producing things and I was the talent for it and whatnot. And she actually had another internship that summer. So I remember she was really busy and always coming and going, and she'll talk about that some in this episode. But Jen is really passionate. She loves sports and she's just, she's really passionate about everything she does. You can tell that in her voice. You'll hear it right away in this episode. She's worked for the Chicago Cubs, the Minnesota Lynx, the Minnesota Timberwolves. She's worked with all sorts of professional sports teams and it's really where her passion lies. But as you'll hear in this episode, she went through some things that reshaped what her quote unquote dream job was. And she's really happy with where she is now. And she's just embraced seeing, you know, where she is in her career and her life. And it's just a beautiful story. She has some great advice to give to y'all. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Let me stop telling you how wonderful she is and you can listen for yourself. Please enjoy my conversation with Jen Schultz. All right. Hey, Jen, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here today. Hi, Carrie. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, so you and I know each other from kind of, I mean, I'm so embarrassed that I can say a ways back, but we met through an internship in college and we've just kind of stayed in touch and you have a podcast and we just have a lot of the same interests and we've just kind of stayed in touch and we're like, let's get together and do this. So here we are. Yeah, and it's interesting too, because I feel like we have a lot of the same interests, a lot of the same background, and then we went some similar directions and some totally opposite. Yeah, no, that's so very true. So I'm glad that you're here today. And I just want you to tell everyone your story and talk about your story. And like I mentioned before, our paths did come together for a little bit. And we do have a lot of the same interests, but they also kind of diverged, uh, you know, in some ways. And that's just how life goes. But let's start first. Why don't you tell everyone what you're doing today right now for your career and, and your job? Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned the podcast and I also have a blog, which the podcast was just kind of a natural progression for me from the blog. But those are more of 
like a passion project, um, side hustle for me. In my day-to-day life, I have two very different careers. One of my careers, I work with the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Minnesota Lynx, so our local NBA and WNBA teams here in Minnesota. And I work for our fan experience department. And so that is a it's just a part-time job. It's game days only. I actually used to work there full-time as an event planner for our sales and service team. So when I first started, I was there in a full-time role as the event planner for about a year and a half. And my job was really just to plan events that would get people that were maybe interested in purchasing season tickets in front of our sales reps. So they could actually come in and see the facilities um, because our office was in the practice facility. They could come see Target Center, see where maybe their seats would be located, get to talk face-to-face and just have a little more hands-on personal interaction where we would also, of course, kind of wine and dine them. And then in my other position, which used to be more of my part-time job, um, has now become more of my full-time role. So I kind of flip-flopped those. Last summer, I work for an organization called ACES, which stands for Athletes Committed to Educating Students. And What we do is we use sports to teach kids math and social emotional skills. And then we work with all of the major professional teams here in Minnesota. So I got introduced to the organization through my work with the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lynx because we partner with both teams. And then from there, I just realized that I was getting a ton of personal fulfillment from that. And so decided to make that more of my focus, um, but definitely wanted to stay involved with the Timberwolves and Lynx. It's such a family and such a community there. I didn't want to give up that aspect of it. And so with ACES, um, in the mornings, I'm in a classroom and I teach. Last year, I had fourth and fifth graders. And this year, I'm going to stay with my fifth graders and move up and teach a sixth grade class. So I'm in the classroom with them for two hours in the morning before school starts. And then the rest of the time, I am our communications associate. So that means I do all of our content creation. Um, I run all of our social media channels. And we are actually just in the middle of redesigning our website, which is a lot of fun because they've sort of given me free reigns to do that. So a huge creative undertaking for me. Wow, that is so fun. And yeah, oh my gosh, those are, excuse me, those are such fun things to do. I mean, we met via sports, but I mean, this is, it's just really cool that you get to do all those things. And you do live in Minnesota, but I can't remember, are you, are you from Minnesota or are you from Wisconsin? I'm from Wisconsin. So I'm from, yeah, so I'm from Menominee, Wisconsin. So about half an hour from where you and I met in Eau Claire. And then um, I went to college in St. Paul. So I live in St. Paul now, mostly work in Minneapolis, but I mean, the Twin Cities is all, if you're not from here, it seems like they're one city, but if you are from here, you are very much from St. Paul or from Minneapolis. Yeah, no, they seem to, I've only visited, you know, half a dozen times, but they seem to have their very own like vibe to them. And I think of, you know, I lived in North Carolina and I think of like Raleigh-Durham. 
which is a similar um, thing where there's one city that's a little bit bigger and the other one that's still a big city, but it's right next door. And those two cities are very different. And then, you know, I've been to Dallas, Fort Worth, and that's the same thing too, where they're both big cities, but one's bigger. And they like are so, people think of them together, but it's like, if you've been there, you know, there's a huge difference. (laughs) Yes, uh, definitely very different vibes, different personalities. And then people will get upset if you say that you're like, if you say they're from one and they're from the other one, um, it's always kind of been, there's this ongoing friendly rivalry over like, which is the better of the two cities. Yeah, I believe that. And like, so I think of, so I'm from Wisconsin. And so I think of like, I just consider that like the twin cities, but if you're from there, like you don't say I'm from the twin cities, you say like, I'm from St. Paul or I'm from Minneapolis, right? Yep. You never just like group them together. You're never just like, oh, I'm from the Twin Cities. It's like, no, you're from one or the other. (laughs) I think because I'm from Wisconsin. So growing up, I thought of them as the Twin Cities. Um, When I'm telling people that aren't from here, I usually say the Twin Cities. And I feel like that's more identifiable to them. Or I'll just even say Minneapolis, St. Paul. Mm -hmm. But if I'm talking to somebody in Minnesota, like I'm from... St. Paul or I live in St. Paul. I kind of think about it too. um, I used to live in Chicago. And if you're from Chicago, people that live in like the suburbs will say like, oh, I'm from Chicago. And Chicagoans are like, no, you are either in Chicago, you're in the city limits or you're in the suburbs. Like you can't (laughs) say Evanston and say you live in Chicago. That's not true. Yeah, no, I totally get that. It's funny how each city like has their own little culture and their own little idiosyncrasies about it. I love that. Yeah, they take a lot of pride in it. And so they, I mean, you have to be from there if you're going to claim it because they're very I proud mean, of it. You should. I think, I think yeah. that makes sense. So I can vibe with that. So let's yeah. talk about where you grew up. You grew up in Wisconsin and you're still a Packers fan. So I'm glad about that. So I don't have to disown you as a friend. Yeah. So that's good. Um, But growing up, going to high school and then going into college, what did you go to college for initially? Um, So like I said, I'm from Menominee, Wisconsin, which is, um, it's a smallish town in Western Wisconsin. It feels small to me and it really kind of is a small town, but we do have one of the state universities there. So we do get a lot of people, especially from Western or not Western, Eastern Minnesota. So like the Twin Cities area that come there because it is one of the closest Wisconsin state schools. Mm -hmm. Um, But it still has a lot of, I grew up out in the country um, on a dead end road that only had houses on one side. There's a lot of country, a lot of farms and stuff like that. So it still definitely has that small town Wisconsin feel. And then I went to college at Concordia St. Paul. Um, So Concordia University, there's, I don't know, there's a ton of Concordia universities around. But I went to the one right here in St. Paul, and I loved that it was, I got to be in the big city, which I always knew growing up that I wanted to move to a big city. It just felt like the right fit for me. But the great thing about Concordia was that we had smaller classrooms, so I still sort of had that sort of safe environment as well, but then was like right in the heart of St. Paul. Um, Our football field was actually right off of Interstate 94. So if you're watching the football game, you could see like all the cars whizzing past on the interstate. But I went to undergrad. um, I got my undergrad degree in um, communications and I knew I wanted to do something with sports, but the thing, and our program has changed so much now, but 
at the time there were there were six different tracks that you could take and so I combined three of them so I took the journalism track the sports information track and the broadcasting track so I knew very much that I wanted to be involved in sports but felt like I could get a little bit more well-rounded experience or a little bit more broad experience with a communications degree and then Mm -hmm. with communications it felt like sort of like your marketing or business degree where maybe if the sports piece didn't work out, it would be very transferable. Mm-hmm. But um, I did a ton with sports with it. So I was the sports editor for our school paper. I did um, some play-by-play for our basketball team. I was our backup person. We had a hired play-by-play person that would come in. That was the only thing that was not student run on the entire campus. And I was his backup, which I probably had no business doing. But anything they asked, I was like, yep, I'll do it. Um, (laughs) Just jumped at the chance because I wanted every experience possible. And then uh, my first year with our football productions, I was doing graphics for like a month on the broadcast. And by the next season, I was doing producing, directing, and sideline reporting. So I went from like zero to 60 in one year. Wow. I love it. And I love how you said, like, you just said yes to every opportunity because I tell a lot of kids that like, you know, kids who are in high school and or college and they like what I do or they're interested by it. And I tell them that a lot. I'm just like, you need to say yes to pretty much any opera, you know, as long as it doesn't make you like morally uncomfortable, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. asking you to like break a law or do something like morally wrong and like, don't do it. But other than that, like, you know, pretty much say yes to everything and learn from those things. And by the time you get to be in your late twenties and your, your thirties, you know, hopefully you can be more selective. You don't need to say yes to everything. You can guard your time and your energy more, but when you're young and in college, like literally say yes to everything and just learn and like, learn what you like and learn what you don't like. And I'm sure you went through some of that, right? Yeah, and that's exactly it. And that's a lot of what advice I give to people too. take as many internships as you can say yes to as many things as you can, because the thing with those years and the age that you are in college, you're still learning who you are and what your interests are. And depending on what opportunities you have in high school, I mean, when I was 18, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I definitely didn't think that I would be where I'm at today. But even when I finished my undergrad, I didn't think I would be where I'm at today, but I think I got a better idea of things that really interested me and things that I was like, yeah, that was fun, but there's no way I want to do that for a career. And the only way to figure it out is try it. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you said that because I had a similar experience like that. My sophomore year in college, I think it was after my sophomore year in college. Yeah. <clears throat> after my sophomore year in college, I, I've always been really into politics and I was a poli sci minor and I just find it really interesting. And I took an internship at the Capitol, at the state Capitol in Madison. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll go into politics. And I was doing journalism and I'm like, well, maybe I can go into like um, journalism for politics and stuff like that and be a Capitol Hill reporter and stuff like that. And I took an internship at the Capitol. And it like, it was an experience. I'll tell you that. But like, I got done with that internship. And I was like, shit, no, like, I'm I do not want to do this. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, had I not taken that experience, I probably would have entertained that thought all the way to, up until like undergrad, but I decided I didn't want to do it. I finished my poli sci minor because I had already taken all the, cl- the cre- like the credits and the classes, but I was like, no, thank you. Like that was just an experience moving on like next. <laughs> Yeah. And no education is ever 
wasted. Like even mm-hmm. if you never use it, those are all experiences that you never have any idea where it might end up being useful in the future. Yeah. In yeah. predictable places. That's so true. So tell us some about some of the internships that you had. Did you have most of your internships in undergrad or did you have some then in grad school as well? So most, well, actually all of my internships were during my undergrad because I decided to, my last semester of college, I, the amount of credits that I needed to finish was more than you are supposed to take in one semester, but it wasn't enough to fill two semesters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I, I was ready to go. Like I was ready to move on and I really didn't want to stick around for another semester and take classes just to fill my schedule all for a math class. I mean, that was basically what I needed was a math class. And so my last semester of college, I don't even, I think I blocked it out. I don't even remember how many credits I took, but I want to say it was like 24. Oh my gosh. It was a lot. Like... A full course load is 12, typically, um, around here. I know every kind of school area or different, like, region is different. But I want to say 12 credits here is considered a full course load. 19 to 21 is usually, like, the max that they will allow you to take. Mm-hmm. So I had to apply for overload credit. And then I also had two classes that were required. So this math class that I was determined not to come back one semester to take was at the same time as my senior communications class that obviously, of course, was also required. So I was like, I don't care if my teachers will allow me to take these two classes at the same time and help me figure out a way to do this, like I'm going to be done. So I did all of my internships during undergrad. Um, I'm trying to think if I had one before my internship with you or not. I can't remember because I did a couple of internships actually through the school. So during the school year mm-hmm. um, with our sports information department. Yeah. And, um, and that was really cool because our volleyball team at Concordia were national champions like seven years in a row. Oh, that so, is so cool. Yeah. So um, we would have huge like volleyball tournaments at our school and like all of the like local news stations would come. And so it was very cool because even though it was a small school from the sports information perspective, there was a ton of stuff going on and we we're interacting with a lot of not only local, but even some like larger sports outlets, because when you win that many national championships in a row, like you're going to draw the attention of some of those bigger broadcasters but so I did that a couple of semesters and then you and I actually met working for a local baseball team in Eau Claire was a college summer baseball league and um, I did video production there and then I also because I'm crazy and I said yes to everything I actually accepted my internship with the Eau Claire Express and then three days later after I accepted it found out that I got a sports internship with CARE 11 sports here as well so our local NBC news station I was like I can't not do that like yeah news station I can't not do that so I was on the phone with like who would be my supervisor at both like we need to make this work I need to do both so like what can you do to help and what can you do to help so there were days when I would like go to Eau Claire in the morning and work from like 
8 a.m. at that internship until like one o'clock. And then I would eat lunch in my car while I drove an hour and a half from Eau Claire, Wisconsin to Golden Valley, Minnesota, which is like the opposite side of Minneapolis. So it's like an hour and 45 minute drive to work from three to 11 at my internship with the TV station. So yes. Um, That's an example though of how you just said like yes to everything. You know what I mean? Like you didn't have to do that. You could have just been like, oh shoot, like that's too much for me. But like you just said yes. And I'm sure that was like such a great experience for you. It was exhausting, but it was amazing. But um, I think part of the reason I say yes to everything is because I'm afraid of saying like choosing the wrong thing. So I hate making decisions. So if I can (laughs) do it all and then I just won't decide, I'll be like, yep, all of it. Yeah. want pizza or tacos both (laughs) yeah (laughs) I mean that sounds like a reasonable answer to that question to me honestly why choose one (laughs) I mean the more the merrier right that's what I think so yeah so um but all of my so all of my internships were in undergrad and then I actually worked a part-time job throughout my undergrad as well. And then my parents that final semester, when I took my like 3 million credits, they're like, you just need to not have to worry about working for a semester. So that was amazing. They were like very supportive of that. And I honestly don't know if I would have slept if I had to work at the same time. But Mm -hmm. so um, I finished in December and this is terrible, but I don't even remember what year it was. And, um, I knew that I wanted to go to Chicago. I don't know why, but I think it was just Chicago has so many sports teams and it's such a major sports city. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, there aren't that many cities that actually have like two professional teams in one sport. So, I mean, that alone just shows like how much of a market that they have for professional sports. So I knew that that was where I wanted to go. So I started applying. I was applying in the Twin Cities and I was also applying like in Wisconsin. I thought it'd be amazing to live in Madison. I've always loved the Madison area and, you know, thought maybe UW-Madison would be a good fit. But then I was applying like everywhere in Chicago and like the Big Ten Network is in Chicago and there's like a pretty major like ESPN station in Chicago. And that used to be like my New Year's resolution every year was (laughs) to work for ESPN which, you know, I have told you that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But so I want to say it was around March and I talked to my parents and I was like, all right, I've been applying for three months and I think it's just harder to like apply and get interviews and have somebody really take you serious as a candidate if you're not in the city. I don't know if that's true or not. It sounded good at the time. So I was like, so if I don't find something by the end of April, I'm just going to move there. So I'm going to move to Chicago in May. And they're probably like, okay, this kid is crazy, but like, we're just going to support it. And they're like, you can find a job doing something, right? Like to pay your rent. And in, it must've been two weeks after that, I got offered a position with the Chicago Cubs. And so luckily I didn't have to worry about finding a job when I went out there. And so um, they actually, we had to send in a video and the video is so embarrassing. It showed up on my YouTube channel the other day, but I had to make a YouTube video of why I wanted to work for the team and in that position and send it in. And they used that video to um, decide who they were going to bring in for like the final round of interviews And they called me and they're like, hey, we want 
you to do the final round of interviews. And because you do live so far away, we are totally willing to work with you and do a phone interview. And I called my dad and I said, this is what my interview is. Will you ride to Chicago with me? Because I don't want to drive there and back one day by myself. But if I don't go in person and do this interview in person and I don't get the job, I'm always going to wonder if it's because I didn't present myself as well over the phone. Mm -hmm. So I loaded my dad up in the car the day of my interview and I left him at Murphy's Bleachers Bar behind Centerfield, Wrigley Field while I had my interview. And I was like, all right, at this time, order us a Chicago style pizza because we're going to have some Chicago style pizza before we go home. So that was a long day, but I got the job. So it was totally worth it. And I think sometimes just taking those leaps of faith. Um, it's kind of like manifesting it into reality. So mm-hmm. would I have gotten the job over the phone? Maybe, you know, if I had moved there, would I have found something? Probably sure. But I think I was so willing to do whatever it takes to get it. I think you almost like will yourself into the position. And I think that's a lot of what manifesting really is, is just seeing yourself in it, knowing that you'll do everything to get it. So you have that energy behind it. But so I worked for the Chicago Cubs for two years. And that was amazing. And it was a year into my position there that I decided, okay, it's time to go back and get my master's. What made you want to do that? I think I always in the back of my mind knew that I would do it. It was just after that last semester with all of the credits, I was exhausted and I needed the time off. But so many of the jobs that I was kind of looking at and interested in that time Sports are such a difficult field to get into. And part of that's because people have this idea that, well, you know, it's like people think TV is glamorous. People think that working in sports is glamorous. Let me tell you, working in sports is not glamorous. Um, If you (laughs) don't have friends and family that also work in sports, they don't understand why you work Christmas Day or New Year's Eve or their birthday or the day of their wedding. And sometimes you can get it off, but if it's a playoff game, you're not going to be there. And obviously your husband, Casey is very deeply rooted in sports um, as a professional player. So you see that side of it too. I mean, he's different side of the court field, however you want to look at it, but your life really does revolve around that season and that schedule. And yeah. No, you're right. If people, if people don't, if they're not in that, you know, arena, that capacity, it's really hard to describe it to people. It's really hard for them. You know, sometimes people will ask me about Casey or something. And it's like, I I think sometimes people think that like he literally works like Monday through Friday and it's like, no, he, he plays baseball every day. Like there is a game every day like and then every like you know two weeks or so they get like one day off and usually you know they use it to travel and things like that and you know to their next destination for their next game and it's hard to like it's hard to convey it to people who are just so you know disconnected from that so I I try and give people grace and uh, you know trying to explain it the best that I can but you're right and even before he and I were married and I worked in sports it was the same thing you know like (laughs) when the team was playing, like, that's where I was. Like, that was my schedule, no matter what, you know, if it was my birthday, I was working. If it was, you know, Sunday, I was working. And if they had a 10am game, I was working. Like, 
Yeah. And I think people, I mean, like you said, Casey might get one day off a week and he doesn't get to pick that day. Oh no. Yeah. (laughs) There are so many people. I think we're just getting into now more of a time where people have non-traditional jobs. Mm -hmm. Non-traditional jobs are where they're, you know, they've taken like a side hustle or a second job and made it their full-time gig. And their whole thing is I get to work from everywhere and I get to work my own hours and I'm their own boss. And that's amazing. But like sports and anything really in that field, like, yes, there are times when you can take vacation as a player. You can't like your vacation is in the off season, but even when you're not a player, yes, you can take vacation, but you're not going to take like a weekend or a week off in the middle of like the playoffs or like the home opener. So it still very much dictates your life and your schedule. Yeah, yeah no, you're so right. That's just what you kind of sign up for. That's what I tell people when, you know, people are like, oh, that's weird or they can't wrap their head around it. And I'm just like, yeah, but, you know, anyone who works in sports, who's in, you know, broadcast or even in the capacity that you are, um, you know, working with fans and things like that, like, or production, like they, that's kind of what you sign up for. And part of me like loves that about sports because it's so like, it's never the same, you know, nothing's ever the same. No day is ever the same. And it's fly by the seat of your pants and you're just like, go, go, go. Part of me like loves that. So I can't hate on it too much. It's just like, it's kind of what you sign up for. You're kind of a little crazy, but you kind of like love it. I think a little. (laughs) Yeah. You, you absolutely have to love it to stick with it. And that's the thing. There's so many people because it seems glamorous. So there's so many people that want to do it. And because of that, you know, if someone's like, okay, this isn't for me, there's already always some other person ready and willing to jump in and take their spot. So I know there was an entry level communications job with the Chicago Cubs one year when I was working there. And I think 10,000 people applied for it. The only way I lucked out just because it was a time that they sort of did a reorganization. And if I hadn't worked there, I never would have known this. I mean, I really was kind of like, right place, right time. But the only people that were going to get an interview for that were people that were already with the organization in some other capacity, somebody that knew somebody within the organization or somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody and was yeah, like, like a really know. prominent like reference or something like that. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. So, okay, you decided to go back to grad school. What was what was that like? You, I mean, I think going from... I took a semester off in school or a year off um, when I was in college and to travel and things like that. But then going back to school after like being separate from that for a year was like kind of a culture shock for me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I actually went to grad school and I say went to in loose terms because I started grad school. Um, I was still with the Chicago Cubs. I was in Chicago, but I did my grad school or received my master's while I was um, with Concordia University. So I looked at a couple different programs, but I kind of, I had such a great experience with my undergrad at Concordia. And I knew that if I did my master's there, I would get a discount just for being an alumni. And I mean, let's be honest, working in an entry level position, I wasn't making a ton of money. So it was going to be a lot of student loans anyway. So any discount that I could receive was hugely appealing. And mm. it was an online master's program, 
But the thing that I liked about it, so I had taken one online class and I actually took it the summer that we interned together and I did terrible because (laughs) online, there's so many different ways that you can do online classes. And the way that we had the one when I was in my undergrad during our um, internship is they literally send you all of the work. They send you the syllabus, the curriculum, everything up front. And there's like one half that's due at like this date halfway through the summer. And then everything else is due at the end. And you have a test in the middle and a test at the end. Mm-hmm. And I'm a terrible procrastinator. <laughs> so I remember for like a day and a half before the first half of stuff was due, like pretty much leaving it all till that last day and a half and then trying to cram everything. And because I went to Concordia, it's a Lutheran school. And so um, it was like a theology class. And I just didn't know it well enough. And there was no way that I was going to learn everything in a day and a half. That first test, I was like, oh, my God, I don't even know if I can pass. And I did. And I was like, I'm not going to do the same thing the second half. I'm going to be on top of it. And I was for about a week and a half. And then the end of the summer came and everything was due. And I think I probably gave myself two and a half days. Well, there you go. I was like, oh, online is not for me. But when I was looking at grad school, the thing that I really loved about the Concordia online program is it's online, but we actually met virtually. So we were in a virtual classroom every Tuesday from, I don't know, it was like seven to eight or something. It was in the evening. So it worked around my hours um, for the most part. And obviously like the Chicago Cubs were working, were willing to work around things as needed, but um, it was only one night a week. And then we had one class at a time, which was also great because you were really immersed in it. So you would have one class for seven weeks. So it'd be like seven weeks of marketing and then seven weeks of sports law and then seven weeks of well, intro to sport management was obviously the first class. But Mm -hmm. um, so it still held you accountable because it wasn't like everything was due partway through. You had like a seven-week program, but you met Mm -hmm. virtually and your homework was done before class. So it was still kind of that like classroom feel, even though we weren't in there. Yeah. And then, um, but because it was online, I was able to do it while I was living in Chicago. And then... Um, when I ended up having to move back home, which we can talk a little bit about, um, I ended up for um, pretty ma- major medical reasons, um, ended up moving back home halfway through my grad school program. And so I was able to just pick up and take it with me, so to speak. Yeah. Wow. No, that's crazy. I'm first of all, I have a lot of respect for anyone who goes back to school because I got done with my undergrad and I was like, no, thank you. I'm done here. And my sister has a master's and my brother is just finishing up his master's. And so I have a lot of respect for anyone who like goes back. So kudos to you for that, first of all. And second of all, you mentioned your medical you know, health issues. And I know that it was really serious and it was something that kind of put things into perspective. And we've talked a lot in this conversation about career and other mm-hmm. things like that. But when this happened, it kind of, it seemed like it kind of hit you like a ton of bricks because it, it made you kind of realize how important and valuable your health was, right? Yeah. So it's kind of, 
we're four and a half years out and I'll go back in just a second and tell more of what happened. But it's crazy because I feel like it almost kind of comes in waves where I have like this big realization from it or this big like adjustment from it. And then I kind of move along and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, here comes something else and not necessarily bad, but it's kind of like every so often I go through another huge shift because of it. So sometimes I'm kind of like, who, what's going to happen next? So even though it was um, a huge, scary, still at times terrifying thing, like I think that I don't want to say that I wouldn't take it back if I could, because I definitely could have lived without it. But um, it also made me so much of who I am today. And I don't know that I would change that. Like, I think that I've worked really hard to get to and become who I am. And I wouldn't want to be somebody else, if that makes sense, even though it was like this really kind of scary thing that led me to here. Yeah. Wow. I totally hear that. And I totally respect that. How, how did you find out that, that you, you know, this was really serious and this was something that you, you know, you had to move home and take care of it. How did that hit you? Like, where were you when you found out? Um, well, so it's sort of weird because, so what it was is I had melanoma, which is skin cancer. And, um, I just want to say like to anyone listening, some people hear skin cancer and they're like, oh, it was just skin cancer. And it's not just skin cancer. And that's there's definitely different types of skin cancer and some are more serious and some aren't. But anyone who has ever been sent home from the dermatologist with a pamphlet that tells you about melanoma in the first sentence, which I don't know why this person who wrote this pamphlet wrote it this way, but the first sentence says, melanoma is the deadliest form of skin cancer. Yeah. Sure. First yeah. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Who wrote that? <laughs> um, I actually read that first sentence and I started crying and hid it under my pillow and didn't come back to it for a day and a half. So oh. it could be rewritten. But um, I had a mole on my shoulder and I don't even really know how long it had been there, but I'd been living in Chicago for about a year and a half. And um, usually in the morning when I'm doing like my morning skincare routine and putting on my makeup and doing the hair and all of that, usually I just have like a cameon. And so, you know, you're obviously looking at the mirror so you can see what you're doing. And at one point, I just became like more aware of this mole on my right shoulder. And I would kind of look at it and it sort of bothered me or it kept like drawing my attention to it. And then I went home for Christmas and I actually showed it to my mom, which of all people, I don't know why I showed my mom because my mom is like, don't go to the doctor. They'll just give you a pill and tell you that, you know, it's a virus. And yeah, she's like, they never, they never know or they can never figure it out. So my mom is like, my mom avoids the doctor like plagues. I don't know what she was when I showed, but she's your mom, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but she's like, well, it's probably nothing. I mean, you wouldn't have to go, but like, if it's going to make you feel better, go. And so I was like, I went home and then like the first week in January, I was like, I'm just going to feel better if I go and have somebody look at it. And so I basically looked up online and picked a random dermatologist because I don't even think I'd been to the doctor in Chicago at this point. And I walked in the office and the doctor looked at it and he put his hand on my shoulder and he goes, thank you for coming in and showing me this. And I was like, oh, crap. So 
I knew it wasn't good, um, but they they removed it, which is just such a weird process. It's almost like they take a little razor and scrape it off, and they're like, okay, see you later. Don't get it wet for the rest of the day. <laughs> um, so it's, like, very much not, like, a huge procedure at all, and they send it down to a lab and have it tested. But when I left, I think it was, like, a Tuesday or Wednesday when I went in. It was definitely, like, early midweek, and they're like – you know, it takes a while for the lab work to come back. So don't expect to hear from us until at least Wednesday. If you don't hear from us by next Friday and then give us a call. So the next Monday I was at work and I was sitting at my cubicle and there's like people all around me and my phone rings and I look down and it's my doctor and I'm like, oh, just kind of like my heart sunk. But I want to answer it in the middle of the office with all these people around because Obviously, it was personal, and the fact that they were calling me at a minimum of two days earlier than expected, I was like, it's probably not the greatest of news. So I went out in the hall, and I called them back because I obviously didn't get to the hall in time to, like, catch them. And so it's, like, a nurse that answers the phone because you go through, like, the basic main, like, registration number or whatever where they direct you, and... So I told her who I was and I was returning the call and she's like, okay, let me just hold and like take a look and see who called you. And so she looks it up and then she's like, oh, and she's like, okay, hold on a moment. I'm going to get the doctor right away. <laughs> so it's like all these little things are like slowly preparing me, but it's yeah. like, oh crap, like everything they say, it's just kind of like your heart sinks a little further. Um, so I'm literally in the middle of the hall sitting in a window like in front of the elevator that goes up to the third floor of our office building. And um, the doctor comes on the phone and I don't remember anything about the conversation. It was pretty much like, so we got your results back and it is cancer. And that's literally pretty much like what I remember the conversation. Um, I know that I had to schedule a... They wanted to go over the different options, but pretty much it was going to be surgery. I don't think there were really a ton of options. Um, but so I had to come in for a consultation. So we scheduled the consultation, and I think it was for, like, Wednesday of that week. It was all super fast. And so I got off the phone, and I texted my boss, and I was like, hey. And he at least knew what had been going on, so like knew that there was a possibility and that I was waiting for this and stuff. So... I texted my boss and I was like, hey, like, I'm going to need to go home. I need to call my parents. I need to kind of like pull myself together and then I'll come in and get my stuff. And so I called my mom first and it's like, I thought I was fine. And then I called my mom and I don't even know how she understood what I was saying because the second I heard her voice, I was just like a mess and like bawling and then it's another thing to like actually have to say the words out loud be like I have cancer because that's what makes it real it's kind of I think the easiest thing to compare it to as far as like how it hits you is like um when you hear about like a family member that passes away and you hear about it and you're almost like in shock and then the first time you have to say the words out loud and that's when you fall apart I don't even know if I took the train home. I don't know if I took an Uber home. I have no idea. Somehow I got home. Um, but so then I had my consultation and my mom was on the phone. Like we called my mom in on a conference call. I was in the con- 
um, the consultation with my doctor because obviously this is a big deal. I'm living in Chicago and all of my family is at least five hours away. And of course, my mom being a mom is like, wants to make sure it's the right decision and has a ton of questions and stuff. And it's probably glad because I think I was so overwhelmed that mm-hmm. I had no questions. <laughs> Which yeah. A good thing. I'm just like, uh huh, uh huh, you know best. And my mom has like 9 million. So somewhere in the middle was probably the right amount. But because um, the doctor and I were laughing at some of her questions, but it was kind of helped lighten the mood a little bit. But um, they basically had two options for when the surgery was. And it was normally the surgery is done like in the middle of a week or on like a Monday. But they're like, we have this one opening next Friday. And I was like, we want that one because by having it on a Friday, my family could take like the day before and the day of the surgery off and be there and still be there for the weekend to like help with recovery because it was pretty major surgery. And um, so it just kind of was like one of those like, yep, God is watching out for us like fluke things at this time slot was available And because it was the following week, it was almost kind of like I hadn't fully processed even like what was going on before I had the surgery. So I know when I look back, sometimes I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't even think I was really aware of everything that was happening. And then all of a sudden I was out of surgery. But it was um, their biggest concern was that the melanoma was growing really fast. So even though we caught it early, there was still concern that it had potentially spread to my lymph nodes. And so my, my surgery was scheduled for 1230. And um, I had to be at the doctor at like eight in the morning for lymph node tracing, which basically means like you go in and they numb the area around where the melanoma is. And then they inject dye around it like little needles. But the dye burns. Like, the only thing, I mean, this poor lady, her name was Katie, and I don't know why, but I will never forget it. And she's like, I am so sorry for what I am about to do to you. She's like, this process is probably more painful than the actual surgery will be. Wow. It's it's not the needles that hurt, but whatever the dye is made out of it just like travels through like your veins because they want to see where like the blood is going so they know which lymph nodes to remove and test and it just like burns wow interesting. and you just have to sit and let it travel for like half an hour 45 minutes and then they take pictures and that's how they know like which lymph nodes the like blood path is traveling to So they know like which ones they would have to remove and test. And so I actually had to have them removed from, I had one removed from my neck and one from like under my right arm. So Mm -hmm. it ended up being a pretty major surgery um, because I had like the actual like major incision where um, they removed the melanoma and because of the size of it, they actually brought a plastic surgeon in just because like your shoulder area doesn't have a lot of extra skin. So they wanted to make sure it looked as good as possible. And then there was like the incision in my neck and then the incision under my arm from where they took out the two lymph nodes that they tested, but it hadn't traveled. um, And they were really confident that they got everything. And so it's kind of like, I went into the dermatologist and then they thanked me for coming in. And then two weeks later, like, 
I was technically cancer free. Wow. Um, but like so much happens in that time. Oh it yeah, just, for sure. It's crazy. Like just yeah. mentally and emotionally and stuff. And then even though the cancer has gone, like your journey isn't over, so to speak. So yeah, 100%. You're adjusting and getting used to things. And I'm sure it just changes your thought process on some things. How did it, how did it affect you in terms of like what you were going through mentally? You know, I know you were always, you always, you kind of were talking about how the school and the working and you just loved it and you were go, 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 but this had to have kind of been a wake up call. How did it transform your thinking and your mental state moving forward? So I think the first thing is, I think the first thing I had a tough time with is um, like there's been cancer in my family and I've seen a lot of people go through really terrible things and struggle. And so I think the first thing I felt was just gratitude and grateful that we caught it and that technically like my cancer was gone. And so I had a lot of guilt around the word survivor. I was like, I didn't survive anything. Um, so that was really difficult for me for a long time. And then um, because of the rate of growth of my melanoma, typically they say after um, having the melanoma removed, you would go in like every six months for three years for skin checks. But mine had been growing fast enough that they're like, no, we want you to come in every three months for five years before we feel like you're in the clear. Mm. And it just so happens that the day my very first skin check was scheduled after this like major operation was the day that my lease was up in Chicago. Mm. And so that was sort of the first like really emotionally challenging thing that I went through because my care team at Northwestern was amazing. I couldn't have asked for like better doctors, nurses and all of that. And it was great that my parents came out, but I was like, if they find something else, can I go through this again that far from home? And I was like, but what if it doesn't come back? I'm like, but what if it does and stuff? And so I looked into signing like shorter leases. So that way, you know, if it did come back and then I wouldn't be as stuck, but they were so expensive. It was like $120 more a month, um, if I signed like a three or a six month lease instead of a year lease, which I mean, it doesn't sound like a ton, but I was living in a studio that's the size of my parents' kitchen. Like, come on. So I, and add that up over three, six months, like I couldn't afford it. And so like, I was gonna, I would have had to do a longer one. I was like, if I sign a longer one, like what if I can't get out of it or what if I have to move home? So I went back and forth a ton to the point where I drove my mom crazy. She's like, you just have to make a decision and stick with it. But so that was the first challenging thing. And then so I decided to move back. And of course, I was looking for jobs before I moved back. But I was still in an entry level position and that type of thing. And it just happened that like there weren't as many contacts like through like between Chicago and Minnesota. So I didn't have like a ton of people to reach out and make recommendations for me at that point and stuff like that. Part of it was just like departments I worked in and stuff. So um, I ended up moving home. And by home, I mean like my parents' house in Wisconsin. And 
I really struggled there. Um, I lost my grandma that year. Um, so I'm so grateful that I was home. That's partly why I know that the timing was right and it was the right decision because I had that last like nine months with her where I actually got to see her and spend a ton of time with her because she was kind of like a second mother to me. But Menominee, Wisconsin, it's small. And I've been, you know, like six years out of high school at this point. And so all of my friends are either in Chicago where I just left or in the Twin Cities and, you know, Minneapolis and St. Paul aren't that far away. But when you're not working, you don't have an income. Like you feel guilty for driving up there and spending money that you don't have because you're not earning anything because you're living with your parents. So yeah, of course. That was that was a really, really difficult time for me. And um, in the year and a half that I lived with my parents there, I ended up having to have two more surgeries because um, I was attending, not attending, I was um, my doctor that I had found was at the University of Minnesota healthcare system. I have a family member that works there and was able to make a recommendation and help me get in because if anyone knows what it's like to try and get into a dermatology clinic the first time, it's like a six month wait. Oh my gosh, if maybe even more, more, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, like it's minimum six months and I'm on three months skin check. So like, yeah, that just wasn't gonna work. So um, plus, I mean, it was great because obviously having a family member that works there, like he knows kind of which doctors are respected by their doctors or kind of what their bedside manners and stuff like that. So, but I ended up having to have two more surgeries during that time. And I had interesting complications. Like one of them, I actually ended up being allergic to the stitches. So <laughs> my skin didn't heal because it was so irritated by the stitches that like, it was just like itchy and irritated and went like closed back together. So when they actually removed the stitches, my skin was like relieved, but it also hadn't healed up like it should have in that time. So it like split open a little bit and just, yeah, a lot of complications. And, um, I started seeing a therapist because it was, I left a ton of things, including um, a relationship behind in Chicago, which we had broken up before I left, but um, we had kind of, we had been on really good terms again right before I left. And so it was very hard because it kind of felt like, what if this hadn't happened or what if I had stayed and stuff? And there was just a lot of things going on at the time, plus like the whole emotional toll because like I said, I hadn't processed a lot of the things before the cancer was gone. So a lot of them were catching up to me afterwards. And then it felt like for a while, it was like I went from feeling guilty about being a survivor to feeling like a cancer patient, even though I didn't have cancer anymore. Because every time I went in for my three-month checkup, they'd remove and test something else. And then I would have to have mm -hmm. surgery because it was – not abnormal enough to be cancer, but abnormal enough that we couldn't just monitor it or like remove it. They had to go in and get more to make sure that it couldn't turn into cancer. So um, I would say during that time, um, so about a year and a half after I moved back to Wisconsin, I ended up getting 
So I didn't want an internship. I got an internship with the Minnesota Twins. So I got one internship while I was in my final summer of grad school. And so I was doing their communication. I was their communications intern. So I was doing um, all of their social media for their food and beverage. And um, so at that time, that was actually how I got connected to the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lynx as well. Um, so a lot of positive things started happening then. That internship led to my full-time job with the Timberwolves. A friend of mine that lives in St. Paul had decided to move in with her boyfriend. And so she had a she had an apartment that was going to be available on Grand Avenue, and it was a rent-controlled apartment, which if anyone knows, like, the Grand Avenue area in St. Paul, there's, like, tons of restaurants, bars, shops, and it's not an inexpensive place to live. And I actually still live in the same apartment today because it's just, it's like such a great value. I pay for a one bedroom apartment, what a lot of people in this neighborhood would pay for a studio and I have a garage. So like a lot of really positive things were happening at that time. But um, after I'd been in my position with the Timberwolves for a while, I'd started working with ACEs as well. And I just realized that I hadn't. I had an interview to move into a different position within the Timberwolves and Lynx organization. And the first question they asked me in the interview is, what is your dream job? And I actually wrote a blog post about it because if they had asked me even three years before, that would have been my dream job. And it just kind of made me sit back and was like, whoa. And I was like, I'm applying for this job and I don't even know if I want it. It was just kind of like all of a sudden I realized that I was still on the path that I had set for myself before the cancer. And I realized that I was finding more personal fulfillment working with the kids and like taking them on like field trips. So like their favorite players or watch a game because these are things that because of like their financial situation that they weren't able to do or just like having dinner with them while they tell me like stories that they're making up or whatever. Like I just got so much more personal fulfillment out of that, that I was like, wow. And I went to Arizona right after that and just kind of, it happened that it was the end of the season. And so I planned a trip to Arizona with my family and I just kind of took that week to they spent a lot of time hiking and personal reflection and I was removed from my situation and I came back and I was like, I don't have the same, what do you want to call it? It was just like the same things didn't like, I still love sports. I still want to be involved and I still love the Timberwolves and Lynx organization, but like the job that I was doing wasn't what just like really set my soul on fire anymore. It wasn't what like lit me up and made me want to get out of bed every day. I'd rather get up at 5 a.m. to go like play lightning or kickball with my fourth and fifth graders than like go plan some like crazy fun event at, you know, 7 p.m. for the Timberwolves and Lynx. So my values had just kind of changed. Wow, that's so crazy. I love that though, because I think sometimes we get stuck in our head about what our dream is. And sometimes we can have the same dream our whole life, honestly, but a lot of times we get on our path to the dream that we think we want. And we realize that, uh, you know, maybe we find something better or something that just, uh, you know, something happens to us and it changes our point of view or whatever it is. You know what I mean? So it's like, 
sometimes your dream changes. And that's like, that's the beautiful thing about life. Like, that's okay. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is I think sometimes we set these plans and it's so amazing to have long-term and short-term goals because you have a long-term goal and the short-term goals are going to be what help you get there. You can't get to the long-term goal without the short-term goal. I think the really important thing about those short-term goals is when you hit it, stop and evaluate. Don't just go on to the next because if you really stop and look, I mean, I just kind of kept moving forward because that's what I was supposed to do and then I got to like where I was about to hit my long-term goal and I was like whoa somewhere along the line this wasn't my goal anymore and it was but like I didn't realize that it wasn't what I was passionate about anymore yeah wow that's crazy good for you for being able to evaluate that and yeah all in real time and you know not force yourself to do something that didn't feel authentic to you anymore Yeah. The other thing that's really crazy, too, is um, this morning I was randomly in my Facebook memories. And three years ago today, I posted, I dreamed last night that I was a teacher, dot, dot, (laughs) dot. And I just, I was like, mind blown because I didn't even work for ACES three years ago. Like, it was never a thought in my mind to become a teacher, And I'm not really a teacher, but like I do, I use sports to teach kids life skills is a lot of it. Yes, there's math in there, but I think the most important things that we do are teaching them like the life skills because the kids we work with come from underserved communities where they don't have a lot of money and they maybe don't have like their parents around as much because of money or their single parent homes and stuff like that. And so it was just amazing. I was like somewhere in like, a bigger plan. Like this is what I was supposed to do, but I didn't even know it. And it came to me in a dream three years ago. And I was like, Whoa, like here I am. That is so cool. And so beautiful. I love that. So if you could sum up, you know, just fill in this question or, or whatever here, what is one thing that you all encompassing you believe about life and your career and everything? If you could just kind of sum that up and package it up into a nice little bow, what would that be? What's something you believe? Um, I feel like life is life is really just our story. And I think that a lot of the things it's like we're born sort of with an outline, right? Like we kind of we don't know how many chapters it's going to be, but there's like a beginning, a middle and an end. And we know sort of the different phases. There's like elementary school and high school and stuff like that. But it's like every chapter should have a reflection at the end because it's up to us to like fill that in and like write the rest of the story. Like we're in control of it. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And reflecting on it and evaluating where you want to go from there. Like we're at the end of chapter five. Where should we go from here? You know, it looks now different. I know why those textbooks have the reflection questions. Yeah. It. Damn it. Jeez. <laughs> I just thought the teachers were trying to give me extra work. They probably were, but you know. Yeah. Very true. So Jen, how can people find you? Um, you know, tell us about your podcast, tell us about the blog, give us your Instagram, where people can find you if they want to get in touch. Yeah. Um, so the blog is jenpatrice.com. Jen is with two N's. So it's J-E-N-N-P-A-T-R-I-C-E.com. And my Instagram is um, jen.patrice. And then the podcast is company you keep because it's really, um, 
sort of like the story that we're sharing today. It's about personal storytelling meets personal development. So things that people have gone through in their life and how it's led them to where they are today and um, how really we are the sum of the people that we surround ourselves with. And so um, all podcast episodes are linked on my blog page, but then you can also find the podcast page on Instagram as well at company you keep pod. Awesome. Oh my gosh, Jen, thanks so much for joining me. Your story is so beautiful. And I think you have so much wisdom and knowledge to share just by living your authentic truth. So I love that you came on and shared that with us today. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so glad that we finally got to have a little bit deeper conversation and just kind of connect and share our love for blogging and podcasting. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I am so grateful to have you as a part of this tribe. And I hope that Jen's story really spoke to you. She is such a light and she is so passionate about what she does. And she's just one of those people who has taken things in stride and is really thriving because of that. So I love her story and I hope you did as well. Quick reminder that everything we talked about today can be found in the show notes. So anything that she mentioned or any links that I need to drop, that can all be found at www.carriegillespie.com and click the podcast tab and the notes for this episode will be there and all the information you're seeking will be there as well. Jen's information, how to get in touch with her, how to find her on social media and all of that stuff will be listed there as well. Once again, thank you so much for being here. I love you guys and I will see you next time.